Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the podcast. How's it going? All right? I hope so. wonder what's going on with you right now. It's always interesting for me to imagine that. You've just pressed play on this. I expect on a podcast app on your phone... Or maybe you're listening to this on my website or something. But I wonder, what's going on with you? What's going... Where are you? Uh, Maybe you are walking, you know, with your legs in the usual way. Maybe you're rolling in some way. I don't know. You could be on a skateboard or a bicycle or something like that. Uh, You could be driving a car. If that is the case, then please drive carefully. Be considerate to your fellow drivers. And always keep two hands on the wheel at the same time. Except, of course, when you have to change gear or if you have to gesticulate to uh, another driver, which hopefully you're not doing because, you know, I did just say, please be considerate. But I don't know. I don't know what life is like where you have to drive, maybe, you know, gesticulating out of the window with your hand, making a rude gesture. Maybe that's just part and parcel of the normal driving experience in whichever, you know, whichever part of the world you live. Um yeah, or maybe maybe you're on public transport, surrounded by strangers. They're all sitting there looking miserable, looking at their phones, just going through their everyday normal lives. The poor fools, they have no idea that they could be listening to this episode of Luke's English Podcast. Anyway, welcome. Obviously, you're not all in, in transit. Some of you will be sitting comfortably or maybe even lying down in a lovely, comfortable position, or maybe an uncomfortable position. I hope that you're not uncomfortable. Basically, hello, welcome to this new episode. And this one is a conversation with a guest. It's one of those conversation episodes presented to you here in order to let you listen to natural English as it is spoken. You may have noticed that this audio version of this episode is long. It's about an hour and 50 minutes long, which is not unusual for my podcast. But just to let you know what to expect, the conversation part with Alistair is about 75 minutes long. And then after that, there's about 30 minutes of me talking again on my own, just rambling about this and that, some funny things, some uh, comments relating to what we talked about and some other stuff. So yes, you get extra rambling from me at the end of the episode. And you don't get that if you just watch the the YouTube versions, by the way. Yeah, I've said this before, but YouTube versions normally just will contain... Uh, If it's a conversation with someone, they'll just contain the conversation. And then the audio versions, you get these wonderful introductions, which um, I'm sure you appreciate so much. And also the ending parts as well, you get that in there too. So, you know, that's what you get for being uh, an audio listener in audio land. All right. Okay. In this episode, I'm speaking to a fellow podcaster, someone who also makes content for learners of English to listen to. His name is Alistair Budge. 
and he's the host of the show English for Curious Minds, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's a podcast for learners of English too. So Alistair is the host of English for Curious Minds, which you might be aware of. But also, recently, Alistair has created a new audio drama series for English learners, which is available as a podcast. It's a separate podcast. It's a kind of episodic adventure story. And actually, I was involved in the production to a, to a certain extent. Not part of the writing and the editing and all that stuff, uh, but my voice is involved. Alistair asked me to be the narrator of the story in episode one of the series. So if you listen to this series that Alistair has created, then you'll hear my voice in the first episode, which is nice, isn't it, I suppose? Is that nice? I hope so. Maybe you're thinking, what, even more, Luke? Yes. <laughs> Actually, I really enjoyed doing it. It was nice to be the narrator and to use my voiceover skills for someone else's project. So in our conversation that you're going to hear today, we talk about this story which Alistair has created. And it's an intriguing story with some historical elements, some time travel elements, and some interesting moral choices and their consequences. So we talk about that. And then we chat about some other things. We go on to talk about other things, including such diverse subjects as Malta, that's the Mediterranean island, Malta, where Alistair lives. And Malta is an interesting place. It has English as an official language and is a popular destination for learners of English. It's an island in the Mediterranean. You know Malta, right? Some people are like, what? What is Malta? It's an island in the Mediterranean Sea. And yeah, as I said, English is an official language there. Um, you'll find out why in a moment. And it's a popular destination for learners of English. And this, uh, this all leads to some typically rambling chat about the pros and cons of learning a language through immersion. Okay, that idea that the best way to learn a language is to go to a place where everyone speaks that language. Okay, so we talk about the pros and cons of doing that. And then there are some questions of cross-cultural understanding and communication. And also, nearer the end of the conversation, how to play the bagpipes. Yeah, the bagpipes. You know what the bagpipes are? The bagpipes are a traditional Scottish musical instrument which involves blowing into a bag uh, and making a very loud and very Scottish noise. Do you know what I mean? Imagine, picture uh, Scotland, right? What do you think of? What are some of the images you think of when you think of Scotland? You think of the flag, the blue flag with the white cross on it. You think maybe think of the beautiful natural uh, landscapes they have there, mountains and other things like that. Beautiful place. Maybe you think of Scotch whiskey. Um, you might think of the people. You might think of these, you know, the, the sort of accents that you can find there and the fact that you probably can't understand them, which is a pity because they are beautiful accents. Uh, what else? You might think of the, the, you know, the major cities like Glasgow and Edinburgh and other cities like, I don't know, like Aberdeen and Dundee and other places like that. The Edinburgh Fringe, the festival. But also you might think of men in traditional Scottish clothing. Right? Uh, kilts. You can imagine maybe a group of men wearing kilts. Those are those tartan skirts that uh, tr men traditionally wear. They wear them normally for certain 
special occasions like weddings and stuff these days. And maybe you would imagine a man, a Scottish man, wearing a kilt on on the on the top of a mountain or something, playing the bad playing the not the bad pipes, no the bagpipes, right? I can't do. Can I simulate the noise of bagpipes? That's a terrible and probably slightly offensive uh, impression of a, of someone playing the bagpipes there. Anyway, learning the bagpipes. Yeah, because Alistair can actually play the bagpipes and he's got some interesting things to say about his experiences of playing the bagpipes while busking in northern France. Busking, this is where you basically do some sort of performance in the street and people who are passing by, like pedestrians, might just throw some money into into a bag or a hat or something at your feet. That's busking. So Alistair tells us about an experience he had busking in a town called Lille in the north of France. I hope I pronounced it well. Shall I just use the English pronunciation, Lille? Anyway, that's a flavour of the sort of thing that you can expect in this conversation. So now that you are mentally, physically and emotionally uh, prepared, uh, let's get started, okay? So get your ears ready, get your brain engaged, and let the listening practice commence. Alistair, hello. Welcome onto my podcast. Hello, Luke. It's an absolute pleasure to, to be here. Yeah, nice to have you here. So um, this is the first time we've actually spoken to each other. Uh, but for uh, my audience, they may be aware of you already because you do a podcast for learners of English. Just tell us quickly about the show that you do. Sure. So it's called English Learning for Curious Minds. I have been doing it for three years now, almost, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, almost three years. And the the idea is it's a kind of narrative show. So it's just me um, researching stuff and talking about what what I call weird and wonderful things. So that could be the lives of famous historical characters. It could be um, kind of interesting ideas or concepts that are going on at the moment. Almost, it's kind of, uh, it's a <clears throat> it's an avenue for my own curiosity, really. If there's something that I'm interested in, it gives me an excuse to kind of really go down a rabbit hole and try to find out as much as I possibly can about it and then um, kind of package it up into a neat 15 to 20 minute episode where I'm just talking to people. And yeah, yeah doing that for three years or so. And yeah. it's, it doesn't seem like three years, but when I look back, it, it actually is. Yeah, December 2019 that I started and okay. I've been going ever, si ever since. Yeah, I had a quick look through your episode list. You've got some interesting topics in there. Um, like I think a recent one you did was about the mystery of Lord Lucan. Yeah, that's a, it's a really fun story. Yeah. And that's one that I, like some time ago, I was like, oh, I'd love to do the story of Lord Lucan on, on this podcast as well. But it, yeah, it does require a lot of uh, research in order to get the full story and then to kind of uh, do the story justice. Mm. So I guess, yeah, you do lots of research for your episodes then. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do. It takes, it takes a lot of preparation. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the times, even when I go back and when I listen to them again, or if I'm, even as I'm recording, I'm thinking, oh, it would have been interesting to 
develop that in a bit more detail or there's something that was missed or, or whatever. But I try to do the best possible job I can of you know, presenting um, a story or um, a subject in an interesting and accessible way. And yeah. you know, in the case of something like Lord Lucan, you know, that's a, that's a story that kind of writes itself, really. So for the benefit of people who might not be familiar with this story, it's of, um, of an English aristocrat, really, a very wealthy um, gentleman from the top of British society who is suspected of having murdered his nanny and who disappeared from the country and was never seen again. So that is a kind of murder mystery, but not really a mystery because it seems quite clear that it was him. But the, the whole story around it is, is fascinating. Yeah. And it's also a story that sort of everyone in the UK, maybe from a certain generation, um, people who are around, you know, at the time, because it happened in what, the 70s, the 80s? Yeah. Oh, this is going to be embarrassing because I, <laughs> I, did, I did make an episode on it. I think it was, um, I think it was either late 70s or early 80s. Yeah, yeah, that that does happen to me too. Uh, I'll I'll research an episode, and I'll do the I'll do an episode. You know, s lots of facts and information and stuff. And then as soon as I've recorded it and published it, all the information that I've researched just leaves me completely. Yeah. Um, yeah so the, the yeah Lord Lucan. Yeah, everyone in the UK who was around at the time knows about that story. Yeah, yeah. a really interesting mystery. Mm, okay. And, th okay. and there'd always be stories in the tabloids coming out of, you know, someone spotted Lord Lucan or he's, you know, sitting on a beach in Thailand or doing all these sorts, sorts of things. And inevitably it wasn't, but, um, <laughs> but, but it's fun anyway. Yeah. Stories of him, people thinking that they've spotted him or people sort of thinking that uh, he had plastic surgery and now he looks slightly different and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good story. Um, and but what about you, Alistair? So uh, you're an English teacher, right? A, a, a TEFL teacher uh, like me. Is that right? Uh, it's actually not right. So oh. I, I I have taught English in the past. Um, when yeah, when I was at university, I taught English in the summers in, in China. But I, I, I kind of think of myself more from the point of view of like a language learner rather than a teacher. Because uh, I haven't taught since I was... 22 so yeah it's like 14 years now um and yeah so i uh, it's funny because through the podcast people you know people will write me emails and say like hello teacher and um like refer to me as a teacher but i don't really think of myself uh, as a teacher at all i don't have kind of formal training um i don't have any of that kind of background so my i guess my 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 focus is on trying to you know, create interesting stories, stories that people might want to listen to and kind of learn with, and allow people to do their own do their own learning with it, rather than trying to claim some great expertise in terms of uh, in terms of actual teaching. Yeah, you're making content that that learners of English can use. Yeah, yes, okay. Um, so before 2019, I guess, which is when you started what were you doing? Um, I mean, what have you done in your, in your, in your career so far, you know? Okay. We're moving on to the job interview bit. Yeah. <laughs> Explain uh, your CV, justify your, your yeah. past. Um, no, so I, I, um, studied languages at university. Uh, I studied French and Italian and then did a, a master's in, in Chinese studies. 
And then after that, I, I kind of actually just left the world of, of languages. I worked for startups in London for, uh, yeah, almost 10 years and then moved out to Malta, um, which is a, a tiny island in the Mediterranean. If people were not aware of where that is. Um, and then started the podcast relatively shortly after. Okay. Okay. So complete, yeah, complete change of life location and direction, I guess. Mm, okay. Interesting things for us to talk about there with, you know, maybe startups you've worked for and Malta as well. Um, but I think we should come back to those because um, let's continue talking about your podcast. And um, so you are about to, or maybe when people listen to this, you already will have um, published a kind of um, story series on your show. And these are not true sort of um, true crime or non nonfiction stories, but a fictional series of stories. It's a sort of science fiction adventure story, I, I understand. Mm. It's called Pioneers of the Continuum, uh, which is a great title. And uh, you've, you, you've managed to um, sort of recruit um, some uh, other podcasters to help you tell the story. So there's a trailer. You've, I'm going to play the trailer for this series in a moment. But first, just tell us briefly what Pioneers of the Continuum is. So I, I saw you searching for um, kind of a good term to how to describe it. I, I also had no good way of talking about it. And then I was talking to someone the other day who described it as a audio drama, which I think I'm going to, I'm going to take, I've, I've, I've stolen that. Okay. They actually admitted that they'd stolen it from, from someone else. But uh, mm. so pioneers of the continuum is a audio drama um, for, for English learners. It's essentially a story about a group of, uh, historians, scientists, and linguists who travel back through time. Um, and there are eight episodes, so it's relatively short. And each episode is narrated by a, a different person who tells the story of where they, they went to, um, kind of why they went to that um, place, um, that time in history, and what happens. And it, inevitably, they all get, out, get into a little bit of trouble. They're surprised by what they find in different ways. And yeah, I, uh, it was kind of working on this, this idea, uh, this story and wanted each of the, each of the episodes, each of the characters to be played by different people. And I thought it would be far more fun. Um, for, if I could actually ask a group of, you know, well-known podcasters, if they'd like to play, um, one of the characters. So the result is, what I would like to think of as a kind of all-star cast of um, English language podcasters, which doesn't include me. I, I'm actually not in it at all because if I was in it, it wouldn't be an all-star cast. Um, so, uh, uh, so uh, yeah, to kind of go through the the people who are in it, obviously they're... Well, hold on. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. Before you do that, before ah. you tell us who's actually in it, let's play the trailer. Okay. I'm going to play the trailer now. And maybe listeners, uh, if you do listen to uh, other podcasts other than mine, because, you know, of course, other podcasts are available. Um, uh, maybe you can see if you recognize some of the voices here. So I, I don't know how many people we're going to hear. Seven. Seven. Okay. So there are seven voices um, from seven episodes. There are eight episodes in total, you said? Exactly. The, the, 
last two are played by the same person. There's the same okay. character. So seven different English language podcasters in this series. Can you recognize the voices? This is the trailer for Pioneers of the Continuum, which is going to be available. Well, we'll find out when it's available in a moment. But um, this is the trailer for Pioneers of the Continuum. Launching on May the 23rd, Pioneers of the Continuum, a time-travelling story for English learners, featuring your favourite English language podcasters. I was travelling back 100 years to 1939. My mission? I was going to kill Adolf Hitler. When he heard me refer to Caesar in this way, Valerius spun around and held his gladius to my throat his face a matter of centimeters away from me. Oh, I said, like jigsaw puzzle pieces locking into place, a picture began to form. I shouldn't have come here. I shouldn't have meddled. I'm not sure if she liked my smell, deodorant and aftershave, but she certainly smelled like someone who hadn't spent much time in the shower. I found myself in a cold and damp warehouse, exactly as planned. I was in the men's toilets, also as planned. I knew that it would be empty in the middle of a suffragette's meeting. What are you doing in there with my ghosts? I, uh, I think I had a little bit too much wine and must have fallen asleep. Will the future be a utopia? A perfect world where people live in peace and harmony? Or a dystopia? A broken, destroyed world where humans live in misery? Okay, listeners, so did you identify any of those voices? I think I got three. Well, obviously, I I identified myself. I was the first one because I'm in episode one, right? You are in episode one and you have um, an important mission, which I will not reveal. But um, it's an important one. Okay. So we're not going to do any spoilers, right? Uh, I don't think we should do any spoilers other than the fact that everyone gets sort of more than they bargained for when they go back. Everyone goes back with, with a particular idea in mind and they're a bit surprised by what they find, as, as I imagine would be the case if anyone travelled back through time. Okay, so going back to the the voices that you heard, listeners. So there was me at the beginning. Then I I identified Lindsay from All Ears English. She was number three, yeah. Okay. There were a couple in there that I didn't recognise, I have to say. Um, Anna from English Like a Native. Mm. Christian from Kangaroo English. Yeah. But that's those are the only ones I recognise. Sorry if, uh, if I didn't recognise you, every, anyone. Um, but uh, who else was in there? So who do we have? Um, so there's you uh, in the first episode. The second episode is Andrew from Culips English Podcast. Ah, yes. Okay. The third is Lindsay from All Is English. The fourth is Tom from Thinking in English. Mm-hmm. The fifth is Anna from English Like a Native. The sixth is Ariel from Easy Stories in English. And then seven and eight is Christian from Kangaroo English. All right. Good stuff. So, I mean, I don't know how much I can reveal. Um, in my, Can I say that in my story, uh, my character has to go back in time 
Well, yeah. my character chooses to go back in time in order to assassinate someone. Yeah. Uh, do the other characters, are they also trying to do a similar thing? Are they going back to assassinate someone or, you know... Um, is there a famous person involved each time? Are, are, are they, uh, yeah? What what kind of missions are they on? These people? They're they're all on slightly different missions. So your your character has yeah has this personal mission to go and kill someone. Um, I mean, people can see it from the title, um, and and uh, yeah, it's someone that people will be aware of. But the other characters, they travel back in time. Sometimes to fix things in their personal lives, sometimes to go and change something or spread a, a message, other times to go and kind of find out truths that they that they might have thought were true and wanted to validate. So there's a really a mixture of, of reasons. It's not just that I think you are the only person who is trying to kill someone. <laughs> okay. Um, so how do they actually travel in time? Because, you know, there, there, have, there have been a, a number of different time travel stories that we all know of, that some of the most famous ones being like Back to the Future, um, and then there's like the Terminator and uh, Avengers Endgame uh, um, and H.G. Uh, uh, Wells, the, the Time Machine, of course, which maybe is the first one. I read that actually last week on holiday. Oh, really? Great story. Um and others as well, and they um, they all have different ways of travelling through time. You know, like obviously the with the with Back to the Future, it's the DeLorean which has the flux capacitor, which is somehow opens up a, a rift in the space time continuum for a certain period of time. You've got to be going eight, eighty eight kilometers an hour uh, in order to get through before it closes and slices the car in half or something. Um, what's it, do you do? You actually go into detail about the the method through which these characters are traveling through time? Um, in a word, no. They're, <laughs> they're, uh, yeah, so the focus is more on what happens when they get there. The, the time travel mechanism, I guess, is they just get into a box. Yeah, really. So you uh, haven't, and someone yeah, presses a button. You've, d you've decided not to go too deeply into the well, actual technical stuff. It Actually, in a first draft of the, of the script, we did go into a lot more detail um, about how time travel had been invented, and that didn't it didn't make it to the final final cut, which I thought it was just it was a little it, it could have been interesting, but I think it was a little bit of a diversion from what um, from the rest of the actual stories. And th the episodes are all relatively short; they're sort of between about twelve and eighteen minutes or so. So um, yeah. I felt like trying to get into too much detail about that could mean that the the characters don't have enough time to do what they want to do when they get to their get get back into the past. Yeah, you can easily get kind of bogged down in all of the technical details of exactly how time travel works. The other thing that occurred to me when I was thinking about this was that in any story that involves time travel, there's always a sort of problem that needs to be dealt with, which is how does it, how, how does traveling through time affect uh, the present or the future? Mm. You know, like we see that famously in, in Back to the Future 2, where Marty goes back to the past and certain little changes that he makes cause significant changes to, to his life. That's actually Back to the Future 1 as well, of course, because he starts to disappear, doesn't he? His parent, he, he, he's there. He accidentally travels back in time. 
he ends up meeting his parents and accidentally sort of causes them to not to meet really or not to get together and never to be married and if they don't get married he disappears and mm. that's the drama is like he's trying to get his parents to to get together um and if they don't get together parts of his body start disappearing and stuff um so in that version the past clearly affects the 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 present that he's come from um and in other stories there's there's other ways of doing it like for example um well, I can't think of other examples at the at this moment I think in the Avengers one they find a way to solve that problem but did that occur to you did did you did you have to deal with that issue yeah so in uh, in this story they travel to slightly parallel universes so changes that happen in that timeline have got no impact on their own timeline but uh, towards the end of the series without giving away any spoilers it becomes clear that it doesn't work quite as they thought and that traveling in time um, back and forward is problematic so mm -hmm. uh, we dealt with it by having this concept of you know parallel timelines where um, you know changes in the past don't affect changes in the future but of course um, even though these characters think that they are incredibly clever and smart and have invented time travel they haven't done it. they haven't done the a perfect job let's put it that way mhm mm mhm mm okay did you write this yourself alistair is it this this is a, a solo uh no no I, job I, so i don't, i i don't want to be trying to take credit where it's certainly not due I worked on it with um, with a colleague called Emil, um, and he was the kind of primary scriptwriter, I guess. Um, and I took the took the role of kind of editor, um, writing other stuff. And in fact, so, um, uh, quite a few of the other narrators um, kind of contributed and and changed parts of their episode as well. So, the if you listen to the story and you and you like. The, the style of it, then that credit certainly doesn't come to me. Okay. How can actually, how can people listen to it and uh, when can they listen to it? Sure. So it's, um, it's called Pioneers of the Continuum. So Pioneers of the, should I spell Continuum? But I realized, Go ahead. That, I realized the other day that Continuum is a kind of confusing thing, thing to spell because um, if you try to say W at the end, people assume that's a W. <laughs> but yeah, so, so it's a Continuum being C-O-N-T-I-N- U, U, M. Yeah, it's got two U's next to each other, which is quite rare in the English language. Um, I think, I can't think of any other examples of when we have U and U next to each other. Can you, can you, can you, you remember when we have two U's? I don't know. Uh, uh, I can't think of another example. I can't think no. of any others, but anyway, it's a sort of interesting word uh, for that reason. Um Okay, so it's called Pioneers of the Continuum, and it's going to be available on your podcast, right? On English uh, no, for Curious Minds, no? No, no, no? It, it'll be, it, no? It's, it's its own podcast. Ah, um, okay. So you can now, if you search on your um, podcast app, Pioneers of the Continuum, then hopefully it should pop up. And yeah, um, the first three episodes will be released on May the 23rd. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure if that's going to be before or after this, but that's when they're, they're coming out. Um, and then, then on, there'll be one a week for five weeks. Okay. Yeah. May the 23rd. I think this is going to be published, um, 
about five days before that, so five or six days. So I think that this this episode is going to go out on the seventeenth of May. Uh, I probably shouldn't be mentioning dates because that's always a huge mistake as a podcaster. Yeah. If you actually say the date or if you refer to any specific time or if you give the episode number, then you kind of shoot yourself in the foot because if you need to make changes, then it's like, oh God, I need to remove those things. But I, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, this is going to go out on the 17th of May. So uh, listeners, yeah, check your podcast app, search for Pioneers of the Continuum, and, and that's the best way to find it. Uh, three episodes, I think, will be there uh, waiting for you um, from uh, the 23rd of May. All right, cool, great. Is there going to be a Series 2 or something? Are you just going to wait and see? Oh, uh, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'll, I'll wait and see Wait and see how people, what people, what people think, and perhaps there might be a Series 2. Yeah, it's been super fun to... to 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 work on and of course it's given me an excuse to to collaborate with with people like you um so it's been a really really fun and um enjoyable project to be a part of so Mm. i'll be very happy to find an excuse to do it again okay brilliant so going back to you then we were talking about your this is the job interview thing again although i'm not interviewing you for a job we can relax um so you moved to malta um but where where are you from actually originally? So um, that's it's always a kind of um, slightly confusing question for me because I, I moved around quite a bit when I was younger. Mm. Um, I was born in Swindon, which I imagine listeners might not be aware of, but it's uh, it's uh, it's kind of town that is always a bit of it's a kind of butt of jokes about being a kind of boring, nothing going on there. Uh, town. There's a, a, a series that people might know called The Office, um, which is based in Slough, um, and they they merge with the company from Swindon. So that gives you an uh, perhaps an idea of <laughs> of what goes on in Swindon. And then it's, it's very yeah, it's very much like Slough, isn't it, Swindon? And they're yeah. they're they're quite close to each other. They're sort of next door to each other, aren't they? Uh, Are they not? So, so Swindon's in Wiltshire. Slough's just sort of just West London. I guess it's. Right. 100 miles or something like that. Okay, so in my brain, I'm thinking you go from London, you go west, you go through Ealing, you get to Slough, and if you keep going west, you'll get to Swindon. Yeah, right. But before That's... you get, yeah, before you get to Bristol and places like that, you'll get to get to Swindon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, so it's closer to Gloucester and Brist and Bristol than it is to London. You yeah. go basically London, Slough. If you keep going west, you go London, Slough, Reading, and then Swindon, and then Bristol. Yeah, and Bath, and not a recommended road trip if you're looking for <laughs> if, you're looking, <laughs> no. if you're looking for things to do in the UK. But um, but yeah, so I, I was born in Swindon and then lived around there for a while and lived in Scotland too. And then um, kind of, I guess most, of, in fact, most of my life I've spent in London. Okay, and when do you move? When did you move to Malta again? Uh, in January of 2017. So yeah, it's been here for six years or so. Can I ask? Uh, what um, caused you to move to Malta? Why did you move to Malta? So it's actually my my wife was offered a job here and it was originally a, a one-year thing and one year, 10 to two years, 10 to three years, four, five, six. And <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and we're still here. Yeah. Malta's an interesting place. So as you said, it's in the Mediterranean location just south of Sicily, which is the east of... Tunisia. 
Mm. So it's yeah. like an interesting spot there in the Mediterranean. What can you tell us about Malta then? Can you give us any sort of like uh, interesting bits of info about Malta? Sure, I can, g- I can give you plenty of bits of info about Malta. It's a very strange place. I think that's probably the the first thing that people are, people think when they get here. They're not really mm. sure what to think, especially as a as a Brit. Um, it's it's kind of strangely familiar in some ways and very different in other ways. So Malta was actually part of the um, the British Empire from 18, I think 1814 to 1964, I think it was. So almost 150 years. And there's still a lot of like British um, signs there. So the, the kind of obvious ones from, you know, there's, there's like the red post boxes. There are um, less obvious ones to non-Brits, perhaps, like the all of the traffic lights are exactly the same kind as you get in the UK, and mm-hmm. the things that you don't really notice if you if you haven't lived in the UK, the 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 um, plug sockets are all the same as the UK. Oh, you've got People, the three pins. Exactly, it's great. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> they are the best. I'm sorry, everyone, but they are the best type of plug. They are nice and solid and chunky. Yeah, um, solid. They don't they don't fall out too easily. Although I find in the EU uh, European plugs have caught on uh, yeah. in more recent years and they do have the three pin system as well. Yeah. But um, okay. Yeah. So same kind of plugs. Do they, do they drive on the left? Do you drive on the left there uh, or on yeah, the right? Yeah. 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 Uh, on the left. Like on in the, the left. UK. Yeah. On the correct side of the road then basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, it's a kind of tourist hotspot and there's lots of Italians and French and Spanish and uh, people from Europe. And You'll be very surprised at how many times I find people just driving on the wrong side of the road. Oh, gosh. A- a- actually on the wrong side of the road, which is, if you saw that happening in the UK, or I'm sure in most of, most of, uh, of Europe, uh, you'd be very surprised, perhaps not in the north of France, where you've got people coming over from the UK and just assuming that things are the same. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it happens a lot. Um, you have people driving on the wrong side of the road. Right. Wow. And kind of veering across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine <laughs> Italian or French people there just like forgetting and yeah. driving, yeah. driving on the right. Yeah, I've, I've even um, I've been in a car with my wife and caught her driving on the wrong side of the road as well. I'd say shift over. Uh, you might be driving on the wrong side of the road. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, languages. What 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 about languages in Malta? So Malta actually has two official languages. There's Maltese which is a kind of Semitic language. So it's, it's similar to, to Arabic. It's, um, has some, has, has some similarities with Turkish as well. And it uses a lot of French and Italian languages. It's a very strange language to, to, to kind of, to hear and Mm. also English. So English is an official language of Malta. It has exactly the same kind of standing from a legal point of view. So, uh, it's been one of the, I think one of the, the good relics of British occupation, you could say for the Maltese, because it's meant that it's a relatively easy place for people to come because they can speak English. Uh, there's a lot of English schools here too. So it's quite a big destination for people coming to, coming to learn English, whether that's, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, um, European teenagers who might be coming for a bit of summer fun and language learning um, <laughs> or, 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 or people who are coming from you know, more serious reasons, people who are taking 
career breaks or people who um, are kind of emigrating from another country and um, kind of coming to an English school and, and properly learning English here. So there's yeah, tens of thousands of people who come here every year to, to learn English. Mm, yeah, it is a huge destina- destination for learners of English. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, obviously they speak English there, but um, um, any, are there any other reasons that occur to you? So I, I guess um, people are, um, ob- well, obsessed maybe is the wrong word, but they're very keen on this idea of immersion English. So if you need to learn a language, you have to go there. That's the only way of doing it. We can perhaps talk about whether that's true or not uh, mm-hmm. later, but that is certainly an attraction for, for lots of people because they think I want to go and do uh, immersion English. I want to go and be in a country where I'll be surrounded by English all the time. Um, and you know, clearly the, there are options in terms of you can go to the UK, you can go to Ireland, you can go to North America, Australia, South Africa, and so on. Um, however, for someone who might like the idea of you know, going to beaches or um, being in a smaller place, then perhaps they don't want to go to Edinburgh or, or Cambridge or London or somewhere like that. Um, so it, it, Malta is, is kind of an, an attractive destination for, for that reason. It's also a little bit cheaper than clearly London or New York or places like that. Uh, yeah. And the other attraction too, which is, is a large attraction that I hadn't really considered properly before, but it's that it's Malta's in the EU. So people who are non-EU citizens can come to Malta and then they can very easily travel around and visit other European countries pretty affordably through you know, Ryanair flights and stuff uh, and kind of use Malta as a springboard for doing all that kind of stuff. Which I mean, is- you can sort of get a student visa to study in Malta and then kind of use that as a springboard to visiting other parts of Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. And I guess a lot of European people as well go to Malta. Like I'm thinking, I can imagine sort of French, Spanish and Italian people who don't want to go to England because it rains uh, uh, and they're scared of the bad weather and the bad food. Uh, they basically want to be able, <laughs> they want to have an immersion experience in English, but with good weather and reasonable food. So they're like, oh, go to Malta then, right? Yeah, indeed. And I, I think the uh, judging by the amounts of you know teenagers who especially come here in the summer for kind of two or three you know, week courses. Um, I'm sure if you are a, it was well, certainly thinking back to when I was a 16 year old boy. And if my, uh, if my parents had said, you know, you can go, you can go and study English in Dundee uh, or, <laughs> or, or, or you can go and spend two weeks on, uh, you know, on a Mediterranean Island with a whole lot of other 16 year olds and, uh, yeah, pretty liberal laws when it comes to you know, drinking and bars and stuff like that, then mm-hmm. I'd have gone to Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, it, it clearly, uh, it clearly it's a, it's an attractive option for, for, for lots of people. Um, but the, you know, the food and the sun and that kind of stuff means yeah. that, uh, yeah, uh, it's probably a lot easier for a parent to persuade their child to go and study during the summer, if that studying is going to be in a warm place. Yeah, definitely. And being in the EU, yeah, as you said, is a, is a definite advantage uh, for non-EU residents, as you say, as a, as a way of kind of like, you know, as a starting point for visiting other places, but also for EU uh, residents, because they don't have to worry about 
Like, is it in the Schengen zone? Yeah, 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 yeah. So don't even need to worry too much about immigration and passport control and and currencies. You know, they've got the euro. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, pretty convenient. Yeah, it's a good. It's it's a great. Um, it's a great advantage for the country, isn't it, to have these things to be in this location and to have English as a first language. Yeah, it's. I think talking about. Um, you know, time travel and parallel timelines, and what would have happened if if something else had had been the case. Um, I think if if Malta had not uh, <clears throat> had not sort of had that experience as part of the UK, and if it if if Malta didn't have English as an official language, then it would be a, a very different place now. Mm, I wonder. Before the British uh, kind of took it, let's say, uh, before it became part of the British Empire. Was it under con- under control of the French? Yes, it, it, it was briefly. And it, it's a very, uh, it, I can tell you a funny story that, <laughs> that kind of, that underlines how um, most people in Malta think of this difference. Mm. Um, in that there's a, there's a museum, I can't remember exactly which museum it is in, in Malta, but I think it's a museum of Maltese history. And it refers to the period of French occupation but the period of the British government. <laughs> so very uh, interesting, yeah. Choice, interesting use of language there. Yeah. So they call it the French occupation, but the British government. Ah. Indeed, even though it was essentially the same thing, it was a foreign power occupying a country and uh, and saying, you know, now you now you play by our rules. So, is that why is that why why is that why is there a slightly different feeling there? Is it just because the British were the last people there, so they kind of uh, you know <laughs> uh, wrote the uh, what, where's where's that where was that written in a museum? Yeah, that, that, that's a kind of official well, not not quite official government policy, but clearly someone had uh, someone had kind of looked for how do we describe this period of history, and this was the occup- occupation, this was the government. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Right. Yeah. Okay. Do, does does Malta? No, it doesn't have. It's completely independent now. Does it have the? Um, uh, does it have King Charles as the head of state? No, that was. Um, I think from 1964 when it became independent, it um, yeah ditched the the British head of state. Yeah. Okay. 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 Interesting stuff. What about those immersion courses then that you talked about? Um, you know, you raise the question of whether they are effective or not. So that's an interesting thing to talk about. Immersion. And there's different types of immersion, of course. Mm. But is immersion the best way to learn a language? What do you think? I mean, I I don't know if you've managed to see this or observe uh, the effectiveness of uh, these immersion courses. Uh, But what do you think about that? Do you think that immersion is like the the best way to, to learn a language? So I, I think if you're immersing yourself in a language and you're surrounding yourself with it um, and you, you're actually making an effort to, to kind of only exist in that language, then clearly that is a very effective way of, of, of doing it. I think the, the mistake that lots of people make is this assumption that if you just go to a, a country that speaks a particular language, so if you go to the UK or if you go to to Malta, then you just automatically kind of absorb this language just by existing in there. 
Which, like it's in the, like the English is in the air. It's in like the oxygen particles in the air, and just you know you just absorb it by osmosis or something. It, yeah, okay. exactly. Or, 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 or even if you go to one of these countries and you go to a school, the idea that the kind of you just like tick the boxes. You've you bought the plane ticket. You've you, you paid the course. Now now it's just a matter for the English to kind of seep into your body. Mm. I've, I'm sure that everyone knows plenty of people who might have had a similar kind of experience or perhaps you you know people who are currently in in that kind of world and that they know that it doesn't quite work like that um mm. so th- that i think is the is the mistake that some people make when they come here is that you just assume that that's that's going to happen um and lots of people understandably um because it, it because malta is so international you kind of fall in with people who are from your country or who speak your language and you suddenly realize that even though you might be going to class for three hours a day everything outside of that time you're spent you spend speaking french or spanish or italian or or whatever language might be easier for you and and don't get me wrong i completely understand how people do this because i've i've actually done it myself i when i was at university i did um an erasmus placement in France and Italy. And when I went to France, I kind of fell into the trap of spending it, of spending my time. I kind of made friends with lots of Brits and Americans. And suddenly, even though you, you know, you are improving your French to a certain extent and you're going to French university and you're doing these things, you realize that you haven't made, yeah, it's not quite so immersive as, as you might've thought it would be. And I also did six months in Naples in Italy. And in Naples, basically no one speaks English. There were no, no foreigners at all. So that was a six month existence, purely in Italian. And uh, yeah, the, the difference was, was marked in terms of my own improvement. Just the, the, that point there, uh, you in Naples, yeah, you were forced to speak Italian. What was that like for you? How old were you, by the way? You were at university uh, level. Yeah, so. 21. Okay. Uh, in Naples, no one spoke English. You had to speak Italian. What was it like? H- uh, how long did you spend there? Another quick question. Uh, six months. Six so, months. Yeah, five, six so months. So what was the first month or two like? So I, I was studying you know, uh, I was studying Italian already at university. So I, I did, I, I could speak to a reasonable extent. Um, and yeah, Naples is, is, a, is a very strange place um, compared yeah. to the rest of Italy. Um, so they also, the, uh, people in Naples speak, obviously speak Italian, but they, they has a, there's the Neapolitan dialect, which is very different to, to, to Italian. Mm. So there's a, a few times where I would find myself kind of trying to figure out whether it's that person speaking Italian or, or Neapolitan. And some people kind of slip, you know, slipping into dialect when they'd be talking with friends and stuff. So it, uh, I did already arrive with a relatively decent level. Probably, um, I don't know, B2 or something. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of worked up from there. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't like uh, you, you would, it wasn't like you were desperately trying to work out what the hell was going on and sort of uh, sink or swim situation. You, you had some. I had, a, I had a base. Yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay. All right. Yeah. So <clears throat> immersion, yeah, the, it depends on how you do it. Uh, there's good immersions and bad immersions. And exactly as you said, just simply being in the country doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to learn the language uh, really well. You have to, um, yeah, you have to be mixing with people who actually speak the language and you have to be actually focusing on it and you have to be motivated and, and you have to be working on it and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Okay. When you came to France, uh, where did you live? Uh, in Lyon. Okay. Oh, very nice. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it, it's a lovely city. Yeah. Okay. How did you, what was your experience of, of living in France versus Italy versus the UK then? How was it living it? How was, what was your experience of France? Uh, it, it was very good. Um, I, I like France. Clearly, is a, is a lovely place. Um, and I before that, I lived in in uh, Lille in the northern France for mm-hmm. three months or so. So I, I was familiar to a certain extent with with yeah French life. Um, um, but yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. I uh, uh, French university was a slightly strange experience because it seemed to me more like school than than university in in the uk it was yeah. a lot of you know the, um in the lectures and stuff there would be people like throwing paper airplanes and it often seemed to be more kind of crowd control than <laughs> than, than than actual um actual teaching um but yeah it, it was really it was a fun experience uh, obviously it was erasmus so there's a lot of a lot of international people there um and yeah, it, it was great. We, we kind of, the university was disrupted quite a bit because there were strikes. Uh, this was 2007, I think. Uh, doesn't matter what year, whatever year, Alistair. I can't remember what the strikes were about this time, but there were lots of strikes. Um, work, work, something to do with work, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so lots of strikes, uh, not a huge amount of university because it was closed, but lots of fun. I mean, it's, the uh i know now thanks to brexit erasmus is not a possibility for yeah. people in the uk which is sad but if anyone is listening to this and is uh, has the opportunity to do an erasmus placement i would definitely recommend it because mm. it's, it's a lot of fun um yeah great do, do uh, there are certain stereotypes about france maybe they're just parisian stereotypes in fact mm. um people visiting France or maybe just visiting Paris often have the same kind of comments. And one of those comments is that uh, French people refuse to speak English, right? And that they're rude. Waiters are rude and people refuse to speak English. Is this true in your experience? 
uh, well, I guess in in Lyon and in in Lyon, I was speaking French, and so it was. I didn't find that people. I, I wasn't trying to speak English yeah. to people, so yeah. I, I didn't really. I didn't see that so much. Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Without offending any French listeners, there are, no. of course, I did find some rude, um, rude waiters, but you can find those anywhere. I think. I mean, yeah, do, I think so. Do you do you find in in Paris that those stereotypes are are true? Well, not really. No, I mean, it's it's in like with most stereotypes, there's maybe a little bit of truth in it, and then lots of I don't know what, like a lot of mistruth or misunderstanding or. Or you know, like uh, one idea being communicated, and sort of, you know, when one 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 truth kind of gets transferred by word of mouth, then it spreads, and it's maybe just like the experience of some tourists who come and they don't realise the social codes, mm. and they you know they they forget that they're in a different country which has a you know another language, and um, France is quite proud of its language, of course. You know, it's uh, it's a it's an international language, just like English, and with a rich history. And so, French people, um, you know, obviously going to speak French. I mean, it seems so obvious, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, another thing is that okay. So what does happen is that sometimes, yeah, people. It's a bit a bit confusing because there's two different complaints. It seems that English speakers make. Uh, and whether these are right or wrong is is a question that I can answer in a second. But the one of the complaints is that yeah, people refuse to speak English. I don't think it's I don't think it's right that they refuse to speak English. It's just often in my experience, people are actually quite shy about their English in France. And what maybe some people take as arrogance is like, no, in France we speak French. You know, instead of it's rather than it being arrogance, it's more just a case of like shyness that French people are actually kind of um, um, a little bit uh, modest about their English. And French people will always say, oh, we have you know, terrible English. We're the worst in Europe and this sort of thing is what they will often say. So French people actually can feel pretty shy about speaking English. And that might be the reason rather than it being some arrogant refusal. Mm. It's more just like, you know, they actually feel kind of uncomfortable about about doing it. Um, the second thing is actually certainly more and more recently um, French people do speak English, and in my experience, Parisians will instantly switch to English with me, mm. uh, which can be annoying for another reason. Like if you're trying to practice your French, if you go in with less than perfect French and you start speaking to people, they will instantly be like, oh, okay, I will speak English to them because I, A, I want to be helpful, and yeah. B, it's a great chance for me to practice my English, mm. you know? And for years, they are told at school, you know, it's hammered into them, you have to speak English, it's really important, you know, you, you, you've got to be competitive on the world stage, you know, and all these sorts of things. English is the international language of business now, so you've got to speak English, English, English. It's, you know, it's like really in, in, uh, important. It's told, they're, they're told by teachers and parents. And so a lot of younger people will you know jump at the opportunity to speak english and, and to to kind of show that they can do it mm. which can be a little bit annoying if you're trying to learn french because yeah, you, you just go in and say bonjour and they're like oh hi how can i help you and you're like <laughs> okay you know yeah. so yeah yeah so it's you know it's not really true the kind of arrogant thing but then again there are some obviously there are going to be some sort of mm. arrogant people who are just uh who are a bit rude, you know, just like everywhere. Maybe maybe French waiters can be a, a little bit rude, but 
sometimes maybe I think people just misunderstand the social codes. Mm. Like people go, like let's say English people go to a French cafe or restaurant or something, they, they expect the same uh, social system to be in place. Like mm. you go to a pub, everything's very informal and relaxed. Yeah. And you can just wander up to the bar, the barman's kind of chilled out and friendly, whereas in a French restaurant you are wandering into a a place where there are sort of certain high standards of service and food and things are a bit more formal. And so what British people perhaps don't realise is that you have to say bonjour at the start or bonsoir. And if you don't do that, you're being rude, mm. you know. Um, and so maybe like English speakers just there, there, they kick off the rudeness yeah. without even realising it. They're actually doing something rude first by not saying bonjour or not doing the right things. And then the waiters are just responding to your rudeness, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, I, I can remember uh, very clearly going to a, a rest, being in a restaurant with my English uncle once and he'd asked for um, like a, um, a, a pint of beer, uh, a large beer, and it came. And as... as people who drink beer in, in France know it, it kind of the foam comes to about here. Um, yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the beer, the beer goes to, it goes up to, uh, there's probably maybe yeah. three centimeters or so of, of foam or head yeah. from the top of the glass to where the beer actually starts. Yeah. 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 And, and he had taken this as some kind of huge affront, a huge offense that the, <laughs> the, the beer had not been filled up to the top because it is it, in, in British pubs, it is an acceptable thing. If the beer is not right to the top, you know, you, you can say, "Excuse me, can you can you fill that up?" Without you sounding that up a bit, yeah. Without sounding completely terrible, yeah. Um, but but it was, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, laughing about it now. Uh, the, the waiter obviously was incredibly offended, and sort of, I think there was even two attempts to fill it up, and it was like, and it became <sighs> oh, some gosh. kind of battle. And even I, I was about thirteen at the time kind of deeply embarrassed at what was going on, even kind of knowing that this was terrible. <laughs> so I, I completely agree that. Sometimes it is, uh, often it is the fault of the, the, the English speaker. And then e going to your, going back to your point about French people, be, uh, and perhaps you could expand this to, to, to anyone being shy when someone asks them a, a question in English. A, a lot of native English speakers are really bad at adjusting the speed of their voice. So they kind of just burst in kind of assume that you know what I'm saying, like talking very, very fast. And yeah. Uh, not uh, kind of adjusting their language at all, kind of not knowing that, in fact, the person that I'm assuming is going to speak English, um, they might, you know, obviously it's not their native language. So let me just adjust my use of idioms. Let me speed, let, let me slow things down a little bit to try and yeah. make life a little bit easier for this person. Um, if I'm going to, if I'm going to make that jump and assume that they can, understand what I'm saying and will respond to me in English. So I can completely understand why people are a bit hesitant if they, uh, they have some kind of loud and loud implied and fast speaking Brit or yeah. American or Australian, whatever. It does. It's sort of a lesson in diplomacy, really, mm. because it just shows that goodwill is like really important. And you've got to enter these situations with massive levels of goodwill mm. where any little misunderstanding has to be brushed off with a bit of a, a smile and a, and a laugh or self-deprecating humour or something. You've got to be willing to be the one who's doing it wrong. Mm. Um, and, and otherwise, things can descend quite quickly into 
that person's being rude. And then, but from the other point of view, the person thinks you're being rude and it's just a, everyone's being rude to each other and no one's wrong. You know, uh, you know, the other person is always wrong, you know, uh, whereas in fact, you may both be wrong. And I think a big factor in that is confidence, actually. That So let's say, let's, let's take, a, you know, an English, English person going to a restaurant in France and they, their French is not very good. So they're doing it in English and they do feel a bit of shame about that. And if they don't feel shame, they will feel a sort of weird sort of kind of, um, uh, I don't know what the word is for it, um, a, a certain sort of um, um, stubborn pride mm. um, of like, you know, okay, so I don't speak French. They will somehow justify it to themselves yeah. where they're like, well, no, English is the international language and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So either they'll feel a bit shy or they'll they'll compensate for that by kind of just leaning into it and appearing to be quite arrogant. And when you're not confident, if you're if you're feeling a bit shy because you can't speak French, then what do you do? do you, it's it. What can happen is that that little level of shyness can cause your English to go to go really bad, go really wrong. I've seen, mm. you know, tourists in um, bakeries um, in Paris, and they don't. You know they can't order their food in in French, and so they're doing it in English. But they feel really ashamed that they're doing it in English, and so their communication skills go completely wrong. And they're like, uh, "Can I have just you know this kind of really crap uh, <laughs> English where it's like uh, this?" And that's just of they feel yeah. terrible. The per yeah. the person serving them picks up on the fact they feel terrible. It's awkward, and sometimes in those conditions, things. There's no goalkeeper there to catch the ball. Yeah. And so the ball falls on the floor and everyone feels like you did it wrong. No, you did it wrong. And then everyone comes away from it feeling bad. Yeah. So, yeah, you, that's why the goodwill is important. And um, yeah, knowing how to communicate to people who don't speak English as a first language, you have to kind of smile. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Complicated. Uh, yeah. uh, people in the UK, I think, just don't have that much experience with this and especially for people who you know who don't travel so often outside the uk or you know don't live outside the uk um they just don't have this the idea that you might sp find someone and ask them a question and they might not speak perfect english is a little foreign perhaps to them uh yeah. strangely enough even when they go to you know if they go to paris or madrid or or, or other places and I, I've seen this. I've seen this a lot. My my wife is Italian, and um, I see lots of my uh, you know cousins, friends, and things like never adjusting their English at all. Um, mm -hmm. but her English is very good, but still, yeah. you know, she's a non non native speaker, and so it is it is a kind of strange thing to see that for lots of Brits. Um, and I'm sure Americans, Australians, other non other native speakers of um, of English, they don't, just don't have this concept that their language can be adjusted, even though it's very easy to do. It's not a huge skill. It doesn't require uh, kind of huge brain power or skills. It's just a kind of switch in mentality, and it makes life a lot easier for the person who is who you're trying to communicate with. Either you just you speak so fast and use difficult language that that person can't understand what you're saying and perhaps they misunderstand it. And so the whole, yeah, the whole point of communication is, 
it's, 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 both people can understand what's going on. And <laughs> if you as the person speaking have, have managed to mess things up, then I think that, you know, that that's your fault. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, I mean, taking the example of British people, um, yeah, they don't have that much experience and this is getting worse, I think mm. with learning a second language as well. Yeah. Um, where, where their experience of using a second language has been in some classroom when they were 14 years old and that was awkward enough. And you talked about crowd control in the French, uh, classroom at university. Yeah, there's probably a lot of crowd control issues in classrooms uh, in the UK in a language class. I mean, my I remember my French lessons mm. at school. I went to a, just a normal comprehensive school, state school. And yeah, like I'm sure most of the kids in my class could not care less about learning French. Like they didn't see the value in it or the usefulness. They had yeah. no intention to go to France, really. Um, you know, uh, and so they just weren't engaged with it at all. And so for the teacher, it was really hard to keep them involved. And it meant that it was really hard for the lessons to go well. The teachers couldn't really teach the kids properly. It was really hard to develop a really good, positive relationship with French. Mm. And so, so many people's experience is just French is just like this funny, weird, awkward thing that we had to do at school. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so there. And I'm sure it's even that situation is is even worse now in terms of um, in terms of people feeling like learning a foreign language is not so useful because uh, you know when when we were at school um, the uh, I guess people of of our age in France perhaps their you know their their English was not so good whereas now I'm sure people who are of a school age they can they probably there's that expectation that. They can probably chat to their French or Italian or Spanish contemporaries in English. So if you if you know that people from other countries will be able to speak decent enough English, then, you know, I, I can understand why sitting in that classroom and being forced to kind of go through, go, go through all the uh, avoir or whatever, um, yeah. then then you probably think this is a bit pointless. Yes. And especially when the curriculum also doesn't put that much importance on it. Like when the when when learning a language is not one of the um, compulsory subjects. Yeah, it's now dropped, right? It's been dropped. Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think I, I don't really know. I don't know, but I know that it's not compulsory. Mm. Uh, that much I know. Um, whereas when I was at school, uh, you had to do one of the foreign languages, French or German, in my school. Um, and uh, but these days, yeah, it's it's an option. It's an mm. optional uh, uh, one. Um, and so, yeah, the value of it just in the in the school system has has been reduced and yeah many reasons yeah that's a pity definitely a pity yeah mm. it really is um <laughs> when you were in france did you are you a musician by any chance uh um so a, a very amateur right so um i i said before that i had um i'd lived in scotland my my dad's scottish and i learned the the bagpipes what um, yeah, so I, uh, I I could play the bagpipes, but for seriously listeners, for listeners who might not know what the bagpipes are, they're the kind of Scottish traditional instrument. It's essentially a large bag that you hold under your left um, your, your left arm. You squeeze it, and there are pipes that come out, and you you have to blow a lot of air into it, and it's very loud, and it sounds sounds 
I, I think it sounds lovely. But yeah, um, yeah. so it, it, it's a kind of um, it's the kind of instrument that people probably don't put on in the background when they want to have a relaxing bath um, <laughs> or dinner party. Uh, or dinner party, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a very loud instrument. Uh, and yeah, I, I learned this when I was, um, yeah, from when I was seven or so. And wow, really? Come, coming back to the, come back to France, I guess sort of all roads lead to France. Um, yeah. uh, when I, when I just finished school, um, I wanted to go and try and improve my French. So I wanted, uh, I was a bit of a stubborn 18 year old. So I thought that I would try and just get the, get the train to France as you could, as you can still, I guess, get the Eurostar, Eurostar. um, to, to Lille and which was the first stop on the, on the train. Mm -hmm. And my completely naive idea as a 18 year old was that I, I would just take my CV and I'd go and get a job in a restaurant because, you know, uh, people would love to have a, a, an English speaker and it wouldn't matter so much. My, my French wasn't so good, but anyway, I'm sure people would absolutely love the idea of employing me. And, uh, I, I went to, yeah, so I went to Lille and I spent the first week or so going around different bars, kind of handing, handing around a CV. It was yeah, basically blank because I was 18 had no, no achievements to, to speak of. Yeah. Um, and surprise, surprise, no one ever called me back. And even a few people were like, no, 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 like definitely not. No point even leaving your CV. It's just going to end up in the bin. You basically um, got, non, c'est pas possible. Yeah. Non, pas possible. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that was, um, uh, that was that. And it swiftly became evident that I was not going to have a successful career as a French waiter, but, uh, as a kind of, um, fail safe, I guess, to try and, uh, to try and like extend my trip a bit. If this career as a waiter failed to take off, I brought my bagpipes, um, which they're quite large back. They come in a kind of large suitcase. So it was not just a, a small thing. Because in in London, I I used to busk on the weekends, so I used to kind of stand on bridges and uh, play the bagpipes, and generous people would put money in my in my box. And I, I I thought, well, if all goes wrong, then I can do the same thing in 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 Lille. And I I did it, yeah. So the I think the the first day I dressed up in full you know full outfit, yeah, like kilt and jacket and all that kind of stuff. And I went to stand next to the train station, just outside the train station, kind of wondering, right, is are the French police going to come and shut me down or is someone going to throw an egg at me or something like that? Um, but uh, luckily, you know, after five minutes or something like that, someone came and dropped 20 cents and then it kind of continued from there. So I was I was there for about, yeah, I think two months, something like that, um, busking every day. And you know, making friends and kind of exploring the city, wow. um, that was just made possible via via the bagpipes. So it's a, it was a, a fun experience um, for for lots of reasons, but also I think as a as a eighteen year old, the you're sort of it, for me at least it was this idea that actually you, you can kind of make your way in the world to a certain extent uh, in terms of you've got this skill, even though I'm not good at the bagpipes at all. I'm not claiming to be a talented bagpipe player. In fact, at one point when I was busking, someone, a Scottish tourist came and gave me a little bit of advice on how to adjust them. Oh, um, yeah. So obviously that I was playing in such a terrible way that 
he thought, right, I've just got to go and tell this guy. Um, but it probably is, he assumed that I was French or something. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I, I did that for yeah two or three months and lived this slightly strange existence where I kind of wake up in the morning, go and go and play the bagpipes for half an hour or so, because it, it's a very physical instrument. You can't do it for large um, stints of time. Go and play. A lot of, lot of breathing. You've got to, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, you have it, to blow quite hard into it, I guess. It's, it's them. It's them, isn't it? It's plural bagpipes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'd never actually thought of whether, uh, obviously, pipes is is plural, but I'd never really thought of whether it's a singular or a plural. Well, yeah, the, I suppose you blow into a certain part of the bagpipes, so you blow into the I don't know what that the bag, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the bag, I yeah, the, the bag. Yes, um, but yeah, it, 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 it's very physical in terms of obviously it requires a lot of a lot of breath, a lot of puff, but also your, your lips kind of start giving away after a certain period of time. Anyway, yeah. so I do it for like half an hour or so, and then just to kind of go back and collapse because I was too exhausted and then go back again in the afternoon. And that was, you know, make enough money to pay for the like really crappy hotel room that I had. Um, there was also, it was um, a hotel that was right next to the train station. Um, and it was, I think it was like, 20 euros a night or something. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's a bit more now, but that gives you an idea of the kind of hotel it was. And it was, I found out later on that it was a hotel that was used by um, people who would go there with their lovers in the middle of the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's, that's a love hotel. <laughs> a, a love hotel. Although yeah, for me, it was, um, it was just a normal hotel. Yeah. Okay. I understand. I understand yeah. the kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Not, not, not officially a love hotel, although love, uh, I use the term love hotel, although that's, I've only ever heard that term used in Japan. Yeah. 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 I, I, this, I, I think, um, yeah, it was manned by a kind of old Frenchman who had a, a permanent, um, like rolled up cigarette in his mouth, even when it wasn't lit. And it, <laughs> it was a very, <laughs> uh, you had to, a pay to use a shower there. I think it was like three euros for the shower. And to get into the shower, you had to kind of go past his little office. And sometimes he'd just be, he'd be there kind of snoozing with the, the cigarette lying, <laughs> lying out of his mouth. And you could kind of dash past it and get in the shower without, without having to pay your three euros. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, all right. So yeah, 20 euros a night, you can tell what kind of hotel it was, but also you could find out how much money you can make on the streets of Lille playing at, playing the bagpipes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, uh, uh, I don't know. Like it, I think probably I, in, in my best day, I probably made a hundred euros, um, which, you know, to, to 18 year olds, it, even, even now it's, it's a pretty decent amount of money to be making, um, making every day. Um, but yeah, it, it was a kind of a magical experience. This idea that I had this, this skill, um, and you could just go and do it for a little bit, open up a case and people would, people would support you. Yeah. Great. I'm going to, you said you're not a great bagpipes player, but you're certainly better than me because I've never done it. How do you actually, how do you actually play the bagpipes? So you, you start learning on a little thing called a chanter, which is essentially like a recorder. So the, the kind of, a kind of long straight thing. pipe. Yeah, 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 of, exactly. Yeah. And then um, yeah, that's how you, you start learning. And then after a few years or probably after a few months, if you're better than me, but, uh, you graduate to the actual, um, 
the actual bag. So, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, the, and it's so, so the fingering, so the, the, it's, it's the bag and there are these pipes that stick out of the bag. Yeah. But then there is another pipe which has holes in it that you, that you, um, you know, you put your fingers over those holes a bit like the way you play a recorder. Right. You have to sling the pipes kind of on your shoulder. Yeah. The bag yeah. goes under your arm. And then in your two hands, there's another pipe that you that you hold and you press your fingers over the holes on it. Indeed. Me- so- meanwhile, there's another pipe that's going that's in your mouth and you're, you're blowing into it, but also squeezing the bag under your arm as well. It sounds like a, a sort of operation with like various bits going going into your body. But um, <laughs> yeah, so so you have the the bit which you're playing with your your hands, which is called the chanter, and the the act there is exactly the same as with the smaller ones. So you practice with this, and then you just transfer that down under your arms. Yeah. Then you have the the mouthpiece which goes in here, and that's kind of constantly in in the sides. And normally you have a little bit of rubber, so you're basically biting it all the time. Going, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there are three what are called drones that are these big um, sticks, I guess, that just come out at the top and they rest on top of your, uh, rest against your shoulder. And the trick, uh, or the, the, is it the trick? Is it just the thing that you have to do to make it sound not terrible is make sure that there's always air going into the drones because the drones give that background kind of... The, the drone. Yeah. 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 So they give that bit and then the, the tune comes from the chanter and you have to keep the pressure in the bag pretty consistent and high. Um, so you kind of blow in and then when you're blowing, you let your arm out a bit. And then when you take a breath, you squeeze in. Yeah. So with that, with that kind of movement, blowing and then squeezing, you're making sure that air is always passing through the drones. Exactly. So you get that underlying, the kind of the underlying drone. And then on the top of that, you can use the, the rest of the air to uh, actually play the tune over the top of it. So um, when you were bus when you were busking with the bagpipes, what what were you playing? What tunes were you like? You know, what were you doing? What Wonderwall? Like, what, what can you <laughs> what can you do on the bagpipes? It's it's quite limited in terms of the um, in terms of what you can play. I think there's I'm going to get this wrong, but I think there's only nine notes. So mm-hmm. no, yeah, like Scottish traditional marching songs. Yeah. So the the whole thing. I guess those notes are in a certain scale. Um, and you kind of like just play different sort of melodies across that scale, I suppose. Something yeah, like yeah. that. I, 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 I was just imagining people thinking that I was just playing, practicing scale all day. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, seven. Da, 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 da. Not exactly. Yeah, no. yeah. I guess what I was playing is just um, variations on that. So yeah. there's, I don't know, songs like Scotland the Brave that people might know of. There's Wings. Um, the, Mull of Kintyre. Mull of Kintyre. Uh, yeah. so, so a few more, I guess, more popular ones, but I, I don't know if you can play Wonderwall on the bagpipes. You probably, <laughs> I, I'm sure people now would be Googling or, or YouTubing um, Wonderwall bagpipes and doubtless someone has played it, but um, I was not. Okay. All right. Great. Um, okay. Well, Alistair, it's been really cool to talk to you. And um, Likewise. Yeah, so I hope that uh, Pioneers of the Continuum becomes a massive smash and that, uh, you know, you win a, an Oscar for the, you know, f- best adapted screenplay 
uh, and and I get an Oscar for you know best supporting actor or something like that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> are there, I'm sure there are podcasting awards or something. There, there, well. Yeah, there are. Oh, there are podcasting awards. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? We may be in tuxedos, um, getting f- getting getting uh, papped before we know it. Let, let's leave it as a maybe. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Uh, all right. Brilliant. Thanks for talking to me. Um, and just remind everyone, like you know, if they want to listen to your your stuff, what what's it called? Where they where can they find it? And and all those things. Sure. So if you want to listen to Luke going back in time and going on an important mission, uh, as well as lots of other people in that time-travelling series. It's called uh, Pioneers of the Continuum. And I also have a podcast called English Learning for Curious Minds, if you want to check that out. Okay, and, uh, I guess maybe we can put links somewhere. to Links will be in the usual places, either in the description of this episode or they'll be on the episode page on my website, which is normally where I put stuff. Okay, well, brilliant. Good. Have a lovely rest of the day in Malta. Sunny, is it? Is it sunny there? Uh, it is, in fact, not sunny at all. No, it's been pretty, pretty d- dark. So you see lots of people coming off their aeroplanes, kind of tourists with their hats and shorts and then being slightly surprised that it's cold and wet and rainy. OK, good. I'm glad because, I'm, you know, I'm glad that it's cold and wet and rainy there, too, because it's cold and wet and rainy. Well, it's not cold, but it's certainly wet and rainy and grey here in Paris. I got completely soaked this morning. Um, so I'm glad I'm not the only one and that you're, you're you know, that you're not living in wonderful uh, sunny weather because that would just be that would be unfair. That would be unfair indeed. <laughs> cool. OK, well, thanks so much, Luke. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Right, so that was Alistair Budge. Thank you again to Alistair for taking part in this episode. So there you have it. Uh, I think I don't. I don't need to mention uh, how you can find um, his work and how you can listen to Pioneers of the Continuum. You just search for Pioneers of the Continuum. The, the main thing is the spelling, I suppose. There, Pioneers, P I O N E E R S. Pioneers are people who sort of. Uh, uh, go on an adventure and discover new things. In this case, pioneers of the continuum. I suppose this is the space-time continuum. People adventuring through space-time. Uh, pioneers of the continuum. Continuum. C-O-N-T-I-N-U-U-M. And you heard us say, oh, I can't think of any other words that have U-U in them. Well, of course, there is one quite common word, and that's vacuum. Right, vacuum, like a vacuum cleaner. You know, a vacuum cleaner. The thing you use to clean up all the dust and whatever that it, that you find on the floor at home. A vacuum cleaner, otherwise known as a hoover. Uh, so yeah, there you go. There's another word that has two U's in it. But other than that, all the other words that have two U's are very obscure and sort of probably scientific terms or... Uh, maybe archaic words or something like that. So probably nothing to for you to worry about. But anyway, uh, that you know, there's another common word that has you you. So pioneers of the continuum. You can look for it, and you can enjoy it from the 23rd of May. Okay, it's available starting the 23rd of May 2023. So you might have to wait a while, just a few days really, 
uh, before it actually becomes available. So you might have to wait. Unless, of course, you have a time machine yourself, in which case, well, I think you get the idea. You can do whatever you want, can't you? You can go to whatever period of time you like. You don't have to wait. You could just skip forward or or something like that. But if you, you know, if you do that, if you do travel through time, then be careful. Try not to, I don't know, create a rift in the space-time continuum, causing history to branch off into some other parallel dimensional universe, some parallel timeline, compromising the existence that you actually belong to, causing yourself to be trapped in some kind of time loop from which you can't escape. It's kind of like how I feel having recorded so many episodes of Luke's English podcast and then talking to you when I don't know what, you know, you get the idea. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, try not to to create a rift in the space-time continuum uh, because that would just be inconvenient for everyone, wouldn't it? It would, especially you. Okay. And uh, you also heard us talking about the bagpipes and I kind of jokingly said to, to Alistair, so what did you used to play when you were busking? What was it? Wonderwall? Because I mentioned that because Wonderwall, which is that famous song by Oasis. Today is going to be the day that they're going to throw it back to you. Right? Oh, I wish I could do the chords. Can I, can I play it? Hold on a second. No. <laughs> the, answer, the short answer to that is no. And also my guitar is out of tune. Hold on. I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to sing this. I s- now that's horribly out of tune. Hold on, and I'll try and tune this guitar. A few moments later. Okay, let's try and give this a shot. I don't promise that it's going to be any good. I think actually this. I think when Noel Gallagher plays it, he puts a capo on the first fret. It's there, isn't it? Oh God. <laughs> okay. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Backbeat, the word on the street is that the fire in your heart is out I'm sure you heard it all before, but you never really had a doubt I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now And all the roads we have to walk are winding And all the lights that lead us there are blinding There are many things that I would like to say to you, but I don't know how. Right? Chorus. Because maybe you're going to be the one that saves me. And after all, you're my wonder. Right? I think my neighbour is listening to me. <laughs> I heard sounds in the corridor. 
I think there's someone out there going, hmm, what is this? He is playing the Wonder Wall by, by Oasis. That was Wonderwall by o Oasis, or at least half of it. Um, so you know the song, right? And I was, I saw that apparently Wonderwall is the most requested song uh, for for buskers, street performers, certainly in the UK. I know that in France as well, it's maybe one of the most requested songs. I had a student uh, who was a who's a professional musician. He plays in bands, in pubs and bars and stuff doing cover versions and apparently um, audiences will always request Wonderwall. So I thought, oh, maybe, oh, uh, jokingly, I said to Alistair, uh, what do you play on the bagpipes in the street then? What is it, Wonderwall? And he, he laughed and, and we said, I wonder if anyone's actually done it. And of course they have. I had a look online, had a look on YouTube, Wonderwall on the bagpipes. Of course it's been done. There's a, looks like there's a group in Scotland, in, maybe in Glasgow, called Saltire Beat. Is it Saltire or Saltier? Saltier. Um, but they they kind of they do this stuff called bag rock, which is a kind of uh, combination, a fusion of rock music and traditional Scottish bagpipe music. And there's a recording of them, of course, playing at Glasgow University, playing Wonderwall. Let's have a listen to it. Okay. Are you going to be able to hear this? I hope so. think guys what do you think does that sound good it depends on you know whether you like the sound of the the, the bagpipes or not um but it must be actually really hard to play wonderwall on the bagpipes because as alistair said it's really difficult to control uh when the when the noise stops or when the you know when the sound stops but anyway that was quite interesting and of course yeah of course of course people do wonderwall on the bagpipes um so I thought that would be quite interesting. <laughs> then I got an email from Alistair as well after we finished recording this. Uh, I sent him um, that video of those guys playing Wonderwall on the bagpipes. And he replied with this. He said, ha, that's great. It's actually quite difficult to stop the bagpipes so abruptly when you have them going. Uh, so I guess there's some skill involved in that. Uh, and then he said, P.S., and by the way, we write P.S. Um, after we've finished our message, so at the end of an email or at the end of a, a letter, after you've finished the letter and, you know, you've, you've kind of, uh, you've, you've ended the letter or email, you can write P.S. That's the letters P dot S dot. It means postscript. So it's just when you add something afterwards. So he said, P.S. After our conversation, I did some rooting around meaning searching, looking. Um, I did some rooting around to see if that old hotel I mentioned is still standing. So this is a reference to the hotel that Alistair mentioned, you know, the one he stayed at in Lille, uh, the one that was a kind of a seedy place, seedy, S-E-E-D-Y, meaning kind of a bit dirty and maybe a little bit um, a place with a slightly low reputation. 
right? The, he said that it was the sort of place that people would go to have sex during the day, that sort of thing. A seedy hotel with a with a dodgy manager who would force uh, Alistair to, to pay three euros every time he took a shower. And the guy had a permanent rolled up cigarette in his mouth, in the corner of his mouth, even if it was lit or not, just sat in the corner of his mouth. <laughs> Sounds like a bit of a character, this hotel manager. And Alistair had to wait for the guy to to fall asleep at his desk so that he could sneak past him and use the shower without having to pay the three euros. It was that kind of hotel. So Alistair said, after our conversation, I did some rooting around to see if that old hotel I mentioned is still standing. From Google Street View, it seems like the area around the train station has been cleared up, largely pedestrianised and hipsterified. Hipsterified means it's been turned into a place that is popular for hipsters. Um, right? So we're talking about trendy organic coffee bars and places where you can buy vegan organ uh, vegan avocado toast and stuff like that. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that. Right? But it's basically gentrified. It's kind of, um, um, let's say it's become a lot smarter, a lot safer, and probably a lot more expensive in terms of the places that you can find there and the services you can buy and whatever. So he said the place has been largely pedestrianised. It's actually, I think I know what he's talking about because I visited Lille a couple of years ago to do stand-up comedy. Oh God, I've got, I'm going to have to mention the show now, aren't I? English comedy in Lille. Yeah, it's hosted by my friend Neil Sinclair, an English guy who lives in Lille. He's a stand-up comedian. And yes, there's a show in English there. If you're in Lille, hello. If you are that hotel manager or maybe one of his friends or, or one of his customers or something, or even if you're nothing to do with him, if you're in Lille and you're looking for stand-up comedy in English, you could go to, uh, it's called English Stand-Up Comedy. It's at the Spotlight. 100 Rue Léon Gambetta, once a month, the last Thursday of the month at the Spotlight in Lille, they do English stand-up comedy. Anyway, so I went to Lille to, to, do a, to do a set. I did about 20 minutes of stand-up there a few years ago. And I remember arriving at the station and it does look all new and shiny and there's lots of nice, shiny new buildings and things. So that's what, I guess, um, that's what Alistair is referring to there. So the place has been cleared up and renovated and it's gentrified. And he, he says, and the really cheap hotels are a casualty of this, meaning that those old cheap hotels have, have gone. I wonder what that old hotel manager is doing now if his hotel isn't there anymore. Anyway, Alistair continues, that being said, the nearest hotel to where I'm pretty sure it was is still at 42 euros a night which I guess gives you some idea. And the reviews brought back some fond memories. So these are not reviews of that particular hotel, but reviews of other cheap hotels in the area. And uh, so let's read some of the reviews. <laughs> so this is a review from a guy called Kevin, originally written in French, but translated into English. It said, I took this hotel for lack of finding another free hotel. So meaning he didn't have any choice. Um, I'm not going to name which hotel this is, but it's one of those head hotels, cheap hotels near the station. Uh, shabby, ugly, unsanitary hotel. No hot water. The Wi-Fi internet connection is non-existent. 
The TV only has a few channels that work. No toilets in the showers. A shower tray in the middle of the room. No breakfast. You have to go to the bar next door. <laughs> uh, okay, here are some other ones. Tiny room, poor cleaning, hair on the bed, very dirty floor, lots of marks on the wall, shower in a dirty state. I'm very disappointed. The cleaning was not done throughout the stay, three nights, except the bedding, which was done every day. On the other hand, friendly reception, satisfactory breakfast, location in the centre of Lille, well located. Very fair, I suppose. Here's another one. The window in the room did not close in November. Noise and cold. Clogged sink. So the sink was clogged. That means that there was stuff in the sink. You, the, the sink wouldn't e drain or empty. Mm. There are other hotels in Lille near the station which are apparently very, very nice, including ones that have, um, you know, four and five star reviews, by the way. I don't mean to suggest that all the hotels in Lille are like that. It's a lovely place. Um, but anyway, I thought that would be interesting to share. And um, also on the subject of Malta, right, that Mediterranean island where Alistair lives, that place which so many people go to learn English because it's, it's a Mediterranean island and they speak English there. While we were talking about that, I couldn't help thinking of that famous, what is it, poem, joke, little video, which is called The Italian Who Went to Malta. Have you ever heard of that? the Italian who went to Malta. These days, it's probably best known in the form of a funny little YouTube video, which I understand first appeared online around about 2005, but I'm sure I'd, I'd seen it before. I'm sure that I was aware of the Italian who went to Malta before that. So I don't really know who wrote it or where it comes from, but the Italian who went to Malta. Now, this is just like a jokey little video telling a story of an Italian guy who went to Malta for a holiday and he stayed in a hotel there. And it's, I mean, Italian speakers, I hope you see the funny side of this, okay? Um, you could equally do the Englishman who went to Italy or something and it would make fun of the sort of misunderstandings caused by the English guy's like bad Italian accent. To be fair, the Englishman who went to Italy, the video there would be an Englishman not even speaking Italian, you know, because he wouldn't even bother to learn it. But, um, the Italian who went to Malta. Yeah, so it kind of makes fun of misunderstandings caused by uh, the Italian, this particular Italian guy's um, sort of bad pronunciation. Okay, I'll let you discover it. I'm going to play it to you right now. And you can kind of, um, you, can, you, can, you can see. I'll explain this afterwards in case you don't get any of the jokes. Uh, all right, but no offence intended to the Italians. It's all just a bit of a laugh. Here we go. Italian man who went to Malta. One a day I'm gonna to Malta to big a hotel. In the morning I go down to eat a breakfast. I tell a waitress I want two pieces of toast. She brings me only one piece. I tell her I want two pieces. She say go to the toilet. I say you know understand I want to piss on my plate. She say you better no piss on the plate you son of a bitch. I don't even know the lady and she calling me a son of a bitch. 
Later, I go to eat at the bigger restaurant. The waitress brings me a spoon and a knife, but no fork. I tell her I wanted a fork. She tell me everyone want a fork. I tell her you no understand. I want a fork on the table. She say you better not fork on the table, you son of a bitch. So I go back to my room in a hotel, and there is no sheets on the bed. Call the manager yeah. and tell him I want a sheet. He tell me to go to the toilet. I say, you don't understand. I want a sheet on my bed. He say, you better not sheet on my bed, you son of a bitch. I go to the checkout and the man at the desk say, peace on you. I say, peace on you too, you son of a bitch. I'm going back to Italia. Alle vide. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> That's the Italian who went to Malta. Have you ever heard that before? Some, I know some of you listening, especially Italians, are probably thinking, yes, we know about that. Yeah, we know all about that. Thank you very much, Luke. Thanks for reminding us. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, let me try and explain this. So, yeah, obviously this, this video is about an Italian man who went to Malta. He stays in a hotel. First, he asks for two pieces of toast. But he doesn't say pieces. He says pisses. Two pieces of toast. The waitress gives him one piece. He said he wanted two piece, which sounds like to piss, right? To go to the to do a piss to urinate. I wanted a two. I wanted a two piece. And the waitress then becomes angry because she thinks that he's saying I want to piss, and he goes, "No, you don't understand. I want to piss on the table." Um. <laughs> She gets angry because he thinks he's saying, I want to piss. And she says, go to the toilet. He says, you know, you don't understand. <laughs> uh, uh, and, then she, and then she comes and she brings him uh, like a knife and a spoon, but no fork. But of course he says, fuck, which sounds like fuck, right? Fuck. I want to fuck. And she thinks he means I want to have sex. And, she, and he goes, no, you don't understand. I want to fuck on the table. And she says, you better not fuck on the table. Yeah. I want to fuck. And she goes, everybody want to fuck. <laughs> no, you don't understand. I want to fuck on the table. I want to fork. I want to have a fork on the table. She gets offended. Calls him a son of a bitch. A son of a bitch. Then later he's in his room. There's no sheet on the bed. Sheet. And he says he calls the hotel manager to ask for a sheet for his bed. But of course, he says a shit. I want a shit on the bed. And the, the, the manager says, you better not shit on the bed. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, and then finally, he goes down to reception and the receptionist says, peace on you. Peace, peace, P-E-A-C-E, peace on you which is not something that hotel managers or receptionists say, but the idea is the hotel receptionist is trying to be kind and respectful and, and have to, to have goodwill and peace on you. And he said, oh, piss on you too. I'm going back to Italia. Okay. So, you know, of course, this is a joke about the fact that some of those vowel sounds can be difficult to pronounce. It's true also for the French. You know, obviously I live in France and um, I teach... Uh, uh, mostly French people, English, we have different nationalities in our language classes as well, but most of the time it's French people. So I know about, you know, so I'm well aware of the common uh, sort of issues that French people have with pronunciation. And uh, yeah, so obviously uh, piss 
and peace, shit and sheet, uh, bitch and beach as well. He doesn't in the in that story. He doesn't talk about going to the beach, but I'm sure that could have brought about all sorts of other problematic misunderstandings too, right? If he'd asked you, I want to go. You know, I want, I want a bit. You can imagine. So let's just look at that. All right, uh, piss. Eh, eh, eh. Can you hear that short sound? Piss, which is a fairly rude word. It means to urinate or it means urine, right? Piss. You can hear the eh sound, short sound, eh. E, peace, peace, like a piece of toast or peace on earth. E, it's a long sound. E, peace, peace, a piece of toast. Can you repeat it? A piece of toast. Now, maybe you're on the bus, in which case people might think it's weird that you're saying that you want to have a, a piss or that you need a piece of toast. They're, people might be looking at you weirdly. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> that might be, you might want to wait until you get home to actually say these things out loud. A piece of toast. E, okay. Um, to have a piss. All right. Next one is sheet and shit. A sheet, E, again, there's that long E sound, E, a sheet. Try it with me. A sheet, E. So your your mouth should be going really wide when you say E, a sheet. Whoops. Your, your mouth should go really wide. You should be getting wrinkles around your eyes when you say E like that. A sheet. Okay. And then a, a shit, which is the, um, obviously, the rude word. So, shit and sheet. Ship and sheep. That kind of thing. Sheep. All right. And then, uh, bitch, which is another rude word that you shouldn't be saying unless, you know, the person you're talking to uh, deserves to be called that. Uh, But I, I, you know, please use rude language uh, at your own discretion. Um, I'll let you decide when that's appropriate. Most of the time it's not, but, you know, that's obviously up to you. I don't know your life. Uh, bitch, the short I sound, I, bitch. And then beach, that long E sound, E, beach. Okay, there's a little pronunciation exercise for you. Uh, but I thought you would enjoy uh, listening to that. Italian people, what do you think of the Italian who went to Malta? Are you deeply offended by it? <gasps> or do you find it kind of funny or what? I don't know. Anyway, that's the end of this, listeners. Uh, Thanks for listening all the way up to the end. All right. Okay, in podcast land. Leave your comments in the comments section, as usual. You can always go to my website. There's a comments section at the bottom. The comments section is is operated using a a plugin, a common comments plugin called Discuss, D-I-S-Q-U-S. You can leave comments there um, without signing up to discuss you can just choose to leave comments as a guest so you don't have to sign up or anything right it might not be obvious at first but you can write your comment and just leave your comment as a guest you can even choose your name and stuff you don't have to sign in but then again if you do sign in you can also get like notifications if people reply to you and it's just easy to to then come back to the website and sign in again and or or stay signed in and then leave your comments easily you can choose your avatar and stuff if you don't choose an avatar you'll automatically be given a, a ninja avatar because that means that you are 
anonymous. You're an anonymous LEP ninja. Um, all right, so you can leave your comments on in the comments section. That's enough. That's enough from me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to sign up to LEP Premium to get uh, storytime episodes and other episodes to help you with your grammar, vocab, pronunciation, and to help uh, the show as well, because you contribute to this and help me to actually be able to do this. Teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. All right. Uh, otherwise, I'll speak to you again soon. Okay, everybody. Have a lovely uh, morning, afternoon, evening or night, uh, bus ride, car journey, um, skateboarding, uh, session, uh, a jogging session, session in the gym. Uh, I hope you have a nice lie down um, or, or I hope you're sitting in a nice seat or whatever. Just whatever is happening, I hope it's not that bad. Obviously, I don't know the conditions in which you're listening to this, but, um, you know, uh, I wish you all the best and I will speak to you again in the next episode. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.